0: The Carter Report investigates the mysteries of the past as it seeks to interpret amazing predictions concerning our future. John Carter, scholar, writer and traveler, invites you to join him as he unlocks mankind's most valuable treasure. Hello, America. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Carter Report. Have we got a program for you in this session? We're going to take you to the greatest, I think, well, I think it's the most amazing land in all the world. We're going to take you to the land of the God kings. That's why it's the greatest. The land of the pharaohs. This is going to be a great program. Come with me to the land of the God kings, Egypt. I want now to come to the blackboard and draw a little map of the land of Egypt. As I come over here to the blackboard, I want you folk to come with me and uh, we're going to put this sketch up on the blackboard so that you will know just where we are planning to go this evening. Now there is the Mediterranean Sea. Here is the delta. It is called the delta because it looks like the Greek letter D. The land of Egypt, about 600 miles long, and only about 10 miles across, only, relatively speaking, a tiny land. And on both sides of the Nile, out here, you've got the blistering hot sands of the Sahara Desert. And so the place was protected from its foes, and in this unique land developed the longest line of kings that the human race has ever seen. Now, tonight, we're going to take you to the pyramids. Now, the pyramids up here at Giza near modern Cairo. Why were they built? Were they built as landing sites for um, flying saucers or for people from other worlds? Listen, enough of that sensationalism. We know the facts. The facts are these. The ancient Egyptians had a, a definite theology about death. They believed that the body was a shell, and they believed that inside this body there was a thing that was called a car. That was the soul. And now listen to this, this is important. They believed that the soul could only live if the body were preserved. And even, even the body of a God-king had to be preserved. And so they built these tremendous tombs for one purpose, for the preservation of their God-kings. Did you know this? Look at those great stones. Tremendous, massive, huge. Did you know that if you were to take those stones and to cut them up into one foot square cubes, you could build a wall right around the United States of America. You think of that? You could build a wall around America about 20 inches high. You could build a wall around Australia two feet high tremendous. And people come to me and they say, you know, these people back there, they could never have uh, written anything like the Bible because they didn't know anything about writing. We now know today that these people were miles ahead of many of us even today. The Egyptians were great writers. They wrote on everything. Uh, Their writing was called hieroglyphic and they had 750 distinct and different symbols. It took a little while to understand their writing until in 17, I think it was 1799, the soldiers of Napoleon Bonaparte were down there in Egypt after they had conquered Egypt, and they went up to a little village in the Delta, and that little village was called Rosetta. And when they went up to that little village and they were digging around there they came upon this little stone it's three feet nine by two feet four and it is a trilingual inscription i want you to notice it very carefully on the screen it is made up of hieroglyphic demotic that is an also that's also egyptian but a later type of egyptian and down the bottom you have the greek language you notice it is a trilingual inscription Now, everybody, well, not everybody, but most of the scholars understood Greek. Nobody understood the Egyptian. It was a dead language, absolutely as dead as a dodo. Nobody can understand it. And the secrets of the Egyptians had been lost, you see, for thousands of years. Then they found this Rosetta Stone. There was a brilliant young Frenchman by the name of Champollion. He was a brilliant linguist and he studied, he compared the three different languages and after years and years of work, after many, many years of work, he was able to announce to the scholarly archaeological world that he had broken the ancient script. And now he said, we now know what the pharaohs were talking about. And now that the Egyptologists, by the use of this great Rosetta Stone, have worked out the ancient language and now that we can read the ancient language we have discovered a story that is more fascinating than fiction and I want to tell you that story tonight and listen let me tell you where we're going to go let me explain to you we are going to compare the chronologies up there on the walls of some of these ancient temples with the chronologies that are found in the Christian Bible and we're going to compare some of the stories that are found on the wall there with the stories that are found in the Christian Bible, and we are going to candidly and honestly ask the question, is there a discrepancy? Is this book that America has so much confidence in, is this book truth, or has it been exploded by the greatest and the latest findings in archaeology? That's what we're going to do. Now... When I go to the Scriptures, I read of a man by the name of Joseph. When I go to the ancient Egyptian chronologies, I discover, ladies and gentlemen, that Joseph was born in the days of the Hyksos kings. I know that is so. Archaeologists today know that is so. Because you can see there on the screen the chariot. The chariot is first mentioned in the annals of the Egyptians in the days of the Hyksos kings. They were foreign conquerors. They were Semites who had come down from the north and overthrown the native Egyptians. And they brought with them the chariot. In this book you read of Joseph riding in the chariot. Therefore, we can pinpoint Joseph in the days of the Hyksos kings. Now, when I go to the Egyptian writings, I discover that there was an uprising against these hated Hyksos kings. It was led by this man who is now on the screen. You see him there? His name was Sekhnenrei, and he rose up and tried to drive the hated Hyksos, these foreigners, out of the land of Egypt, you see and he died fighting the Hyksos and if you look notice if you carefully notice the screen you can see how his skull has been battered and broken to pieces in his uh, warfare against the Hyksos that's quite apparent on the screen this man had a son and I'm going to come over now to the blackboard and I'm going to write up the names of the ancient Egyptian kings. And I'm so glad to see you folk following this tonight with such a great interest. You are a great audience to talk to. It's tremendous to talk to such an attentive audience. Now, there was Sekhnen Ray. He was the man whose head was all broken in. He had a son by the name of Ka moses You notice his name? Ka Moses. He in turn had a son by the name of Ah Moses. And he had a son, we're told in the Egyptian inscriptions, by the name of Amen Amen Opus or Amen Hotep. Amen Opus the first. He then had a son by the name of Tut Moses. Tutmoses the first. And Tutmoses had a daughter. And her name, ladies and gentlemen, and I want you to try to remember this, was Hatshepsut. Hatshepsut. And I want you to remember her because she is the hero or the heroine of the story. She is the star tonight. She became the pharaoh. She was the daughter of Pharaoh, but because the Pharaoh didn't have a son, she became the reigning monarch. And there you can see her on the screen. And you notice her with the beard. That is why I call her the bearded queen. Now, she didn't have a glandular problem, but the beard was the symbol of of the Pharaoh's priestly power. And therefore, in the inscriptions, she is shown, as you can see on the screen, with a beard. Everything she did was grand and great and glorious, like her great mortuary temple called Deir al-Bari on the western bank of the Nile. She was powerful. Everything she did was grand, great, glorious. Now listen to me, because what I'm going to tell you now is amazing. I'm turning in this old book, this book that the Christians use, And that I use to 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1. And when I turn to that passage, I read something very interesting. I want to share it with you, it says. And it came to pass in the 480th year, after the children of Israel had come up out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. Now listen carefully. Ladies and gentlemen, we know absolutely, when we know this from astral calculations, we know when Solomon started to build the temple. There is no doubt. That is an historical certainty. And if you add on 480 years from there, it brings you through to the time of Moses. And when you compare the chronologies in the Hebrew Christian Bible with the chronologies that are up there on the walls of the temple that we can read today, it is apparent that Queen Hatshepsut was the princess who went down to the River Nile to rescue this little baby floating there in this basket in the bulrushes. Did you hear that? And when you turn over here to the book of Hebrews in this book, it says that Moses, and that's an Egyptian name, Moses became the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, listen to me. I'm coming over here to the blackboard again. When I come over here to the blackboard, I want you to notice all the Moses kings in this dynasty are Moses. Tut-Moses, Hatshepsut, and Hatshepsut was forced to accept the illegitimate son of her husband, Tut-Moses, Tut-Moses II, as her joint ruler, but she soon got him off the throne. Now the Bible says, and we know that the chronologies are absolutely correct. We can be dogmatic about this. The Bible says that this woman, Queen Hatshepsut, the greatest woman perhaps the world has ever seen, was planning to put Moses, the Hebrew, on the throne of Egypt instead of Tutmosis, II, the second, the illegitimate son of her husband, You can see what happened there was a lot of tension in Egypt and when you go to Egypt today you can see the remains of that awful tension now look as I was wandering around Egypt I said to Peter Peter why is the great stealer that you can see on the screen there why is it surrounded by all of these bricks he said because Moses who came after her, hated her with an absolute intense hatred. I said, why did he hate her? He said, I don't know. He said, I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, I know. The Bible tells me the reason why. The Bible tells me that Moses was going to be the next Pharaoh. You see. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he was living in the time of all of those Moses kings. And Hatshepsut was going to put him on the throne. But then in 1482 BC, Hatshepsut disappears. And the most incredible thing is that while... And I get excited when I tell people this. When, when we go there and, and we see the mummies, and I, I know them all. I'm on personal terms with all the mummies. Not on talking terms, but I I know them. There's the mummies of, of Ramesses and Tutmosis and Amonophus and all of those men. But we don't have the mummy of, of Queen Hatshepsut. You know why? Because the worst thing that you could do to an enemy was to destroy his body. And that's what Tutmosis did. That's what Tutmosis did. He murdered her because she was planning to put this Hebrew Moses on the throne instead of this Egyptian Tutmosis. And you can see all the evidence of the strife and the hatred that tore Egypt up. And that, my friend, is exactly in harmony with what you read in the Bible. Look at this on the screen. You can see how he took to all of her inscriptions with a chisel and he chiseled them out. There was, you can see it there, it's as plain as the nose on your face. As old Peter said, he certainly hated her. One thing is certain, ladies and gentlemen, and that is this. There was a period back there in the days of Egypt when there was a tremendous strife, a tremendous hatred, a tremendous upheaval, and there is only one solution to the problem, to this archaeological problem. And when I go to the Bible, I find the solution. Ladies and gentlemen, my American friends, let me tell you something. As I have gone around in Egypt and looked at the inscriptions, as I have read the story of the bearded queen as I have seen the defaced inscriptions, as I have looked at all of these things, I have come back dazed and amazed and stunned by the overwhelming accuracy of the book that is called the Bible. I believe the Bible tonight not because I just want to believe it. I don't believe it just because of faith. I believe it because of evidence, you see. Absolutely. And I believe... That there is a tremendous ton of evidence. Look at this good looking character on the screen. You see him there? Tat Moses the third. He is the Pharaoh who defaced her inscriptions. He is the Pharaoh who kept Moses off the throne. You see, Moses cast in his lot with the Hebrews. But I want to put up his name. Tat Moses. He's the Pharaoh, my friend, who was the contemporary of the Moses of the Bible. Most likely, the Moses of the Bible was called Happy Moses, born of the River Nile. Here is Tot Moses third. He is the Pharaoh who stood up against Moses. The Bible tells the story of how Moses came down there into Egypt, and he said, let my people go. And the Pharaoh said, I don't know the Lord. I'm not going to let them go. Moses said, you let them go. And he said, I won't let them go. Look at him tonight. He hasn't got much to say, has he? There is the Pharaoh, ladies and gentlemen, who stood up against the great God of heaven and against the Moses of the Bible. I want to tell you tonight, we are not dealing with folk stories. We are not dealing with myths. We are not dealing with hocus pocus. We are not dealing just with a load of myths. We are dealing with the great historical facts. We are dealing with the facts of history. We are dealing with real people. And this is the Pharaoh who was mentioned in the Bible. Listen, Moses was also a great historical character. As I went through the great Cairo Museum, I saw there also Amon Ophys II. There you can see him on the screen. Did you know that we know exactly when he became the pharaoh? Did you know that we know exactly when his father died? Let me come over here to the blackboard. We know exactly when Tutmosis III died, and that was March 17. I've run out of space. March 17, 1450 B.C. March 17, 1450 B.C. And when you go to the Bible, when you go to the ancient chronologies of the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, that is the very date when the children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. That is the very date the Bible says that Pharaoh was drowned, drowned in the Red Sea. And this man on the screen came to power in 1450 B.C. because his father had been drowned in the Red Sea. Can you see why I believe? I believe because of the evidence. I believe of the facts. I believe because of the chronologies. I am forced by the weight of evidence to believe that this book that I've got here on the podium is not just an ordinary book. I believe, my friend, it is absolutely correct. There is the sacred lake at Karnak where the priests would go and wash. But I want to ta- take you now across the bosom of the Nile, across the great God Nile, and I want to take you into the loneliest, the most barren place on the face of the earth, into the lost valley of the kings and the queens of old egypt i'm going to take you now to the to the tomb of pharaoh tutankhamen or tutankhamen we like to call him king tut but there my friend is the face of tutankhamen i'm standing there at the site where howard carter dug for many many years he uncovered seven million cubic feet of earth took years and years, almost gave up in despair. But then in 1922, with my old friend Peter the Coptic, he broke into that tomb and discovered 5,000 gorgeous, exquisite, wonderful objects of of art, like this, this chariot made of timber but covered with gold. So much of the stuff, God's Of gold goddesses beautiful cabinets like this beautiful inlaid box there's so much this uh, it just takes your breath away the the alabaster and the gold and the precious stones and the thrones what sort of people must they have been the golden daggers and here is Horus the Falcon God who is the symbol of the God himself the Sun God ladies and gentlemen This was the greatest nation the world has ever seen. It was a nation of incredible wealth, a nation that was very, very superstitious, and a nation, my friend, that believed in the supernatural. The Pharaoh, ladies and gentlemen, was buried within a series of four shrines. The outer shrine was 17 feet by 11 feet by 9 feet, made of timber, covered with gold, big enough to put your Cadillac in. Look at these golden daggers. And then here is another shrine. And then within the fourth shrine, there was a sarcophagus, a great coffin that weighed... Half a ton. And then inside that that great sarcophagus, he found one, two, three golden coffins. And the, the third coffin was made out of solid gold and it weighed over a ton, 2,448 pounds, 44,000 ounces of solid gold. And then, at last, he came upon what you can see on the screen. He came upon the golden death mask of the Pharaoh. Now listen to me because I have a story now to tell you which is more incredible than fiction. I'm going to turn to this amazing old book that I believe in and you can see that I believe in this. Listen to me. You're listening. This book is not only a book about history, This book is not only a book about archaeology, but this book is also a book of prophecy. When Egypt was the greatest power in the world, when Memphis was the greatest city that the world has seen, Memphis was a city, my friend, that extended for 40 miles, it included the step pyramid, mortuary temples, palaces, when Memphis was the greatest city in the world, Ruling Egypt and the world for 500 years, along came a little Jewish prophet and said this about Memphis. And I'm going to turn in the Scriptures, please, to Jeremiah. I'm going to turn here to Jeremiah. And I want you folk to notice this. Jeremiah 46 and verse 19. And here are the words it says. You got it? Here it is. Here it comes. Jeremiah 46. Listen. Memphis shall be a waste and be desolate without inhabitant. The Bible said that this great city would be wiped off the face of the earth. Did you know when I first visited Memphis and walked around Memphis, I didn't know that I'd been to Memphis until somebody told me a week later that I'd been to Memphis? I didn't even know that Memphis was there. There you can see on the screen Memphis as it is today. There is absolutely nothing left of Memphis. And the prophet said more than that. Did you know that? The prophet said there shall no longer be princes from the land of Egypt. Ever since that prophecy was given, Egypt has been without an Egyptian prince. There have been Persians, and Greeks, and Romans, and Turks, and French, and British, but no Egyptian princes from the land of Egypt. When I was talking down in Australia, a man interrupted me, and he said, John Carter, haven't you ever heard of King Farouk? He said, I said, yes, I have. And did you know he was an Albanian? Not only does this book talk about Egypt, but it talks about modern cities. Did you know it also talks about the United States of America? Did you know that it talks about modern civilizations and it tells us our future and our fate? And I want to say tonight, and I want to say to you folk who are watching this television program, you listen to me. A nation is only as great as its faith in God and in the Scriptures. This great nation of America, along with the rest of the Western world, is facing the greatest crisis in the history of the human race, and there is only one hope for the United States of America, and that is to have an intelligent faith in the facts of God's Word. Millions of people today in America and the rest of the Western world have been brainwashed with the idea that these people back here were barbarians. We now know that that is a load of hogwash. These people were smart, they were sophisticated, they were highly intelligent, and they were tremendous writers. We now know that the the Bible arose out of this super sophisticated culture. You see, Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, was a sophisticated character. He was a great prince, he was a great lawyer, he was a great philosopher, he was a great lawgiver, and he was a great writer. And we now know for an absolute certainty that these ancient people who gave us the Bible were some of the most sophisticated, some of the most highly developed people that this world has ever seen. On the basis of all the evidence that I have seen in the land of Egypt, I can say today, you can believe in the Bible.